If you have your Bibles, uh, it'd be great for you to please turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to park ourselves in verses 6 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you want to be really old school and have a physical Bible, because it's really trendy these days to have a physical Bible, you can grab one of those. Uh, It's yours. It's our gift to you, particularly if you're visiting Canterbury. Uh, If you're someone who's new to the Christian faith, exploring it, it's been a while, uh, maybe turn to the person next to you and they'll show you where Acts is. Uh, I'm sure if you have a Bible app, it's going to be pretty easy to find. So Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Here is God's word. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come into the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord, I pray now, as we continue this time of worship, Jesus, please be front and center. Let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I've got a confession to make. I'm not a, uh, a mechanic, neither a son of a mechanic. But I've heard when you have a sort of a, particularly an old car, uh, eventually when your wheel starts shaking a little bit like this and, and you sort of turn around, you know, you, you're trying to keep the, wheel, um, the steering wheel straight, it, it kind of goes left and it goes a little bit right. There's a thing called the wheel alignment's out. And you've got to go to the mechanic to get that sorted. This morning, as a church, um, I guess this is what we're doing. Uh, we're going back to a little bit, a bit of, of who we are and considering why we do what we do, kind of getting our wheel alignment, our spiritual wheel alignment back as a church. Last week, we were served so well by Murray Kappel. And if you have not listened to that sermon, I would encourage you to head to our website or you can download it on a podcast. It's well worth your time. And it's been really encouraging and challenging for me and even for us as a leadership, as many of you have made the time to uh, share with us where you think the church is at. Sometimes it's been challenging discussions, but it's been helpful. It's been quite insightful. It's also been encouraging to hear stories of people sharing of, of how God has been using the church family and this community to grow them and point them back to the gospel and Jesus. So last week, as Murray unpacked for us Jesus' report card to the church of Ephesus in, uh, in Revelation, Jesus speaks very directly to them. He explains to them, hey, you guys have been so persistent in the gospel and faith. You've endured so much for my name's sake. One of those famous words, but this I have against you. As a church community, as a group of churches, they had abandoned their faith. They had abandoned. The language is so strong. It's like saying, hey, uh, it's like a husband divorcing his wife. That's the kind of language that is used in that passage. And Jesus says to him, you've abandoned it. You've divorced yourself from your first love. And Jesus calls them and says, hey, repent. Turn back and begin doing what you first did. 
Some of you may have heard of a guy called William Wilberforce. He became a little bit more famous in our modern day when they released a movie called Amazing Grace. Uh, This was a man who was a follower of Jesus in England. Uh, He was quite involved in the political system of the time. He was involved in what's known as the Clapham Evangelical Sect. Uh, He was a man who was committed to the gospel, and he had given his life to ensure that slavery would come to an end. He actually had three attempts over 20 years through the British Parliament to pass legislation. Eventually it happened where vessels that were bringing in slaves were no longer allowed to exist. Now, I don't know if you know, but he was also involved in other things. There's a group of people in 1824 arrived and gathered together to a place called the Old Slaughter's Coffee House in London. How's that name for a cafe? There's a guy by the name of Reverend Arthur Broom decided to gather all these men and women of distinguished uh, background. It's another way of saying they're part of the uh, society and high-end society. But they realized the animals in the area weren't being treated well. So they decided to start a group, what's known as the RSPCA. Now, my guess is if I went to the RSPCA today down on Burwood Highway, the main one there, and said, hey, did you guys know you've got Christian roots? They'll go, get out the door, please. Now, there was something that was driving people like William Wilberforce, whether it fits to save and rescue people, people who are made in God's image, or even just in the culture and, and the way that they treat God's creation. There was a reason why he did what he did. There's a famous quote that he talks about in one of his writings called Real Christianity. He says, It makes no sense to take the name of Christian and not cling to Christ. Jesus is not some magic charm to wear like a piece of jewelry. We think we will give us good luck. He is the Lord. His name is to be written on our hearts in such a powerful way that it creates within us a profound experience of his peace and a heart that is filled with his praise. In summary, what he's saying, if Jesus is true, and if Jesus is Lord, then he shapes everything of our lives. But if you can look at throughout history, that many organizations, many groups have Christian roots, Christian ethics, and over time, gone, lost. You might have it in the name, but it's been forgotten. It's been thrown out the window. And even some to this day are trying to push it out to ensure they're not known as a Christian organization. Church, that can be the temptation for us as a church community too. That can happen in church communities. That has happened even here in Australia in certain church denominations. We need to consider why do we come on Sundays? Why do we run all the ministries that we just prayed about and have kids' church? Why do we do what we do? Why are we here? And this morning I want us to reflect on those things. As we looked at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, three things I want us to consider. Our limit, our power, and our call. Our limit, what do I mean? So it says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So Jesus is risen. He's been risen from the dead. He's physically alive. Uh, the author of Acts and Gospel of Luke has gone to great lengths to say, hey, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah, the one who came to save the world, the one who would die for the sins of the world. And this is the one who has come and now sends his disciple. But this is the one who had that one single focus. He knew why he was here on this earth. And he tells his disciples, hey, you're going to be my disciples. You've been my witnesses, but wait. The Spirit of God will come, my Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he will come. And this is where we are. This is where we are in the story of the Bible. So Jesus is about to head to heaven. He's about to ascend to heaven. He's done some significant uh, theological and Bible college training for his uh, witnesses, for his ambassadors of this good news who will carry on this message. And they ask, understandably, I think. They turn around and they get, say, hey, Jesus, at this moment, is this the moment we've been waiting for? Is this the moment that we've heard about? Is this the moment that now you're actually going to physically take your residence here on this earth and kick out the Romans and rule as king over our world and our city? Jesus in that moment, in those verses, does not deny it or affirm it. Rather, what he does is he gets their disciples to focus on something. Very simply, very powerfully, he reminds them, I think, of their limit. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times, the seasons, that the, uh, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. In a nice way, he's saying, it's not your business. It's not for you to know. It's not your business. That is the Father's business. It's a wonderful way of saying, hey, don't you worry about that. My Father is in control. Don't worry. It's not like Jesus had an opportunity to stand there and go, look, guys, I'm going to pull out my projector and my uh, PowerPoint presentation and do all the charts for you and do all the different timelines and so on. No, he didn't want to do that. Many have tried him in today. In that moment, I think he makes it very simply and clearly and powerfully, both to you and I, it's a reminder to know our place. Who is the creator, who is sovereignly in control, who will achieve his plans despite of us. Remember that we have a limit. That we are created beings under his loving, caring authority. That he is the creator. And we are created beings. But then Jesus says, but be assured. You have a limit, but be assured of your power, our power. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria at the ends of the earth. If you have grown up in church culture, if you have grown up in the Christian church, this is what I call the eye of the tiger verse. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is the eye of the tiger verse. What do I mean by that? So recently I went to uh, school to drop off my son and uh, it was towards the end of the term and they were playing the music before the kids go into class. It was the eye of the tiger. The kids have no idea. I think it's more for the teachers. to say, keep going. You can do this. What I mean by eye of the tiger is the Christian world. This is the kind of verse we look at and go, yeah, this is what we're about. And if you have the gift of evangelism, this is the verse that you go, yeah, come on, let's do this. But I think most of us fall into the trap of going, oh yeah, that's a good verse. Yep, Jesus has called me to make disciples. Some of us might even say, 
hey, I've heard this before. I've been here. Yeah, okay, Shabu, you're going to tell me to go make disciples. Jesus is making very clearly to these guys, firstly, hey, you will receive power. You'll be empowered by my spirit. And then you'll be sent out to be my witnesses. What he says to them is, as, you're, as you wait for my spirit to come upon you, as you're empowered, you're actually not going to be my salesperson. Neither are you going to go be sent out to start a world religion. Rather, you will be my witnesses. The language there is so powerful. It's hard to say, what you're going to do is you're going to witness to everyone through word of the wonderful things that you have seen the wonderful things I've just told you about, the wonderful things that you've heard about me, the Messiah, the good news of Jesus. You have been a spectator to this. Now you're going to be my witnesses. And not only are you going to be witnesses through, my, through your word, through, through telling people about the gospel, the good news, through word, and also through your life. And in the context of Acts, he's saying that in that moment, that witnesses, some of you might even die. And as you die, you're going to bear witness of my name. You three read Acts and that happens. And there are many even in this world that are experiencing that. Jesus in many ways is saying to them and even to us, you will be my breathing, acting out witness. Witness of the risen King Jesus. That every aspect of your life should both proclaim and display this. This as witnesses. And he says to them, it's going to start in your own backyard. It's going to move out into your city. It's going to move out to the nation. And finally, to the ends of the earth. And one day it came out to here in Kilsyth. And I love the way Jesus sets it up. He says, but first, you need to be empowered by the Spirit. Then you will be my witness. Recently, for my birthday, I got an iPad. How many of you have an iPad just out of curiosity? You can tell they're Apple supporters. They're very proud. Um, but I had an experience. I went to what's called the Apple Store. Uh, I don't know if you've been to the Apple Store. It's an experience. I firstly realize I'm not very cool. Secondly, I realize that I discovered I met someone, not a salesperson, but a specialist. And if you really need help, you go to the genius bar to meet the genius. It actually made me want to quit my job and join, because just for those titles. And they got to wear this really cool shirt with the Apple logo right near their heart and give them power. Anyway. <clears throat> so I get paired up with someone who, who's told me, hey, man, you know, what, what, have, you, what have you bought? I said, oh, my, my family bought me this Apple iPad. Oh, what a great present. That's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, look, I'm trying to figure out what to do with you know, how does it work and stuff? He's like, oh man, yeah. Look, let me uh, connect you with our little specialist here who will teach you how to use your product. And the specialist spends the time as they're talking about this Apple product. I'm realizing this is the greatest thing that has ever been given to me. It's better than gold. It's better than the breath in my lungs. It's amazing. They're sold out by their product. And before you know it, I'm going to the register and I'm buying things that I don't really need, but they've convinced me that I need. And I go to the car and I come from a sales background. So when I sat in the car, I just went, oh no, I've been jibbed. <laughs> it's very rare to meet someone who enjoys the Apple product who is not convinced by it. They will sell it to you even if they've just bought it and realize they've spent so much money. Church, it's a really lame illustration. 
But I think for some of us who are being followers of Jesus, what's happened is we've just sort of fallen into the trap of thinking we've just become part of a tradition or a club. Murray alluded to this last week. We're like a community club. We have regular meetings. We've got regulations and rules. Uh, We might even have training nights, committee meetings. And if there was a Canterbury Gardens t-shirt, you might actually purchase it. For some of us, we're like the Apple technician who knows all about the figures and facts and things. We know about the charts. We know about the dates. We know about the theology. We know all these things. But when it comes to it, sometimes our acts are probably more out of duty rather than led by the Spirit of God. For some of us, we, it's like, you know, we know we have a Christian faith and sometimes the Christian faith only comes up on some days. It's like having an Apple iPad that you just use for emails and Facebook updates. We don't see realize all the capabilities and functions and sometimes our faith is like that. We just come on Sundays, we go to small group, we're involved in these things. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's totally sold out for the good news of Jesus. I know there are many of you here in our church family. It totally shapes all of your life. When I thought about this, I thought about a good mate of mine. He makes me uncomfortable when I go out for, with him for a coffee because he's looking for that opportunity to ask the waiter or waitress, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? I'm a pastor of a church. I'm going, awkward. <laughs> that is wrong. I should be praying and joining him in this mission. Church, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have been filled with the Spirit. He's actually called you to be His witness. This is not a sort of an option. This is your call, my call. This is the the call that we have to declare the wonder and might, that is to bear witness through the Word and sharing of the Gospel and through our lives what Christ has done. Whether if it's at your home, in your workplace, at school, at uni, in Kilsyth, in the city of Maroondah that we're part of, in Melbourne, in Victoria, and maybe for some of us into the ends of the earth. This is not an optional choice. There are many of us wondering, what shall I, what's God's will for my life? It's here, right here in these verses. This is God's will for your life, to be his witness wherever he's placed you. And friend, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, I want you to know that, yes, Christ offers eternal life. But joining Christian faith is much more than eternal life. It's that you have now invited to enter in his grand mission and he sends you to be his witness wherever he places you because when you give your life to him, he says, everything about your life is mine now. Everything. And then he sends you out to join in one of the most rewarding works ever in history, to be his witnesses. And with that, we are then to be reminded of our call. In verse 9 it says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him into heaven. These verses have been quite, um, I've been spending quite a bit of time just reflecting on it. 
You know, Jesus has just said to his disciples, hey, don't worry about what's going to happen. You know, I'm, you know, God's got this. My Father has this in control. You will be empowered by the Spirit. Now I'm going to send you out to be my witnesses. And then he's taken up. He's gone into heaven. And I, I mean, if I was the disciples, I don't, I don't blame them. They're like, what? And he's gone, huh? Just staring into the heavens. And two guys dressed in white robe. This is kind of talking about eternal beings, whether if they're angels or whoever they are. They're standing there, and in that moment, which um, to me, I just, why didn't no one scream? But they just sort of let, oh, okay, two guys in white robes. Jesus is gone. They say to the guys, what are you doing still staring into heaven? It's striking because... You know, their Savior is gone, their Messiah is gone. They're trying to kind of grapple with all of this. They're still staring, and the guys say to them, Hey, why are you staring into heaven? This, this Messiah, this Savior who's gone, guess what? He's coming back in the same way. And I think in this moment, it's kind of this wonderful statement, this wonder and saying, Hey, stop staring into heaven and waiting around. He is coming back. Get on with it. Get on with this mission. Church, I wonder for some of us, that's what's happened in our lives. We believe that Jesus is true. We believe that he's risen from the dead. We believe that he is the one who has sent us now to be his witnesses. We know that in our heads. But I sometimes wonder, we're sort of just keeping on staring, waiting for Jesus' return. When we maybe need to look forward in front of us and see who he's placed in front of us to be witnesses to. Because he is coming back again. That's a striking reminder that Jesus will return. But when Jesus returns again, there's no like second chance. There's eternal consequences. And in many ways, the call is to get on with it. This is our call. Do you know this is why Canterbury Gardens Community Church exists? And when I say Canterbury Gardens, when we as a church leadership say Canterbury Gardens, we're not talking about the building. We're talking every one of you who call Canterbury home. This is why we exist. Mike shared about some of the things that we're wrestling as a leadership as we think through and pray about the future. One of the things that is constantly going to be on our radar is that we believe that Christ has called us to be witnesses here in Kilsyth, in the city of Maroondah, in Victoria, in Australia, and even to the ends of the earth. And that mandate will not change as long as the Lord desires to have Canterbury around. That mandate will be threatened... Like any organization or any group of people that believe in Jesus, that threat will always be there to focus on something or someone else. And when we do, we will lose sight of what we've been created for. But there are some things that might be hindering us to be witnesses. Sometimes I think we forget where the power of being a witness comes from. I think sometimes our witness and the power of our witness may be based on our abilities, our programs, our leadership structures, that we have land and property, rather than the one who is the power of the Spirit who empowers us to be his witness. Church, ask yourself, ask myself this week, whose power are we relying on to witness? Are we witnessing out of guilt, oh, I better do this. This is what I should do as a Christian. Are we uh, doing it in the power of arrogance? Oh, 
these non-Christian friends of mine, they have no clue. Or are we just leaving it to all those specialists out there? Like Cam was sharing earlier about people going to the, um, the, the uh, Mind, Body, Spirit Festival. It's everyday people just stepping out in faith in the power of the Spirit to share the gospel. Are we just going, oh, it's just for those people? No, friends, if you're called as a follower of Jesus, you've been sealed with the Spirit of God. He's now calling you to be His witness. To be His witness. And some of us, I think, have fallen into the trap of just sort of kicking back. We've just waiting for Jesus to either call us home or return. But friends, if you have breath in your lungs, Jesus has not finished with you. See, in, the, in God's economy, there's no such thing as retirement, but just seasons of life. If you want to know what the Christian idea of retirement is, it's when we breathe our last breath. That's what retirement is in God's economy. Maybe some of us are waiting for Jesus to return. That's not a bad thing, by the way. But maybe when, in that process, we've got that as long as God has got lung, breath in your lungs, he's called you to be his witness. Thirdly, what is hindering us to being his witnesses in this world? Friends, even in a church community as big as this, if there are broken relationships and issues going on, that will hinder the witness for the sake of the gospel. Is there things that you need to sort out with one another to forgive and restore for the sake of the gospel? Maybe there is sin in your own life that you're not dealing with. Maybe you need to uh, get involved in a small group. Maybe you chat to someone, pray with each other, confess to the Lord and deal with that sin. But I think in our Western world, one of the things that constantly hinders us is this language of how busy we are. I don't know about you, sometimes people ask me, how are you? And I say, I'm busy. Somehow that's become a way of describing how I am. See, friends, God has specifically placed you in the lives of people. That could be your own very relatives. That could be your, many of your grandparents, your own grandkids. Could be the neighbors around you, could be work colleagues, your classmates, whoever they are. Maybe it's setting aside time to invest into them and be busy about the things of the Lord. Friends, how do we keep on this this idea of being witnesses for Christ fresh? If you're going to be at Canterbury Gardens, you will constantly hear about us being a Christ centered church, a gospel centered church. These are all sort of cool, trendy words at the moment. Well, that ultimately is saying to you and I, we look to Jesus. Is Jesus not the one who left the comfort of his own home to come into this world, the King of Kings who rules and reigns, become a mere human to love and serve and declare the kingdom of God? Is Jesus not the one who shows us that clearly and specifically he was so focused on the Father's mission that he goes to the cross, trusting in his Father's goodness and will to the point where he says, Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. And in those words, when he cries out on the cross, it is finished. He then sends us out who believe in him to be his witnesses of this good news. Christ has modeled this for us. And church, imagine if you and I, this week, as we parent our kids, 
saw ourselves as witnesses to our kids. As we head into work, we saw ourselves as witnesses in that workplace. As we live the retired life and season, we, go, uh, we are witnesses in this season for Christ. Imagine if we live such a life captured by this. So friends, know we belong to Jesus, that he is Lord. We need to be reminded of that. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to be the witness that Christ has called you to be wherever he's placed you. And then rather than just sort of waiting for Jesus to turn, yes, yearn for that, but also look forward in front of you who has God placed you to bear witness for, for the glory of Christ. Church, as we sing this last song, may we sing it as a prayer to him so that we will continue to be his witness for his glory, both here and even to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our great saviour who both modelled this and showed this. Then you've given us a great privilege to join in your kingdom work, to be your witness, both through proclaiming the good news and living the good news. We pray for us as a church. May we never tire of this. Please guard us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.